0: you now
1: tuned in to the hottest podcast in the world, the Stay Woke Podcast, right
2: here on
0: thesonicbreakdown.com. Man, it's time to wake up, to wake up. get this cake up, get this cake up. only thing I care about is switching. Welcome back to another Stay Woke Podcast. This is D-Ray Brinson, and you know the Stay Woke Podcast is presented by the thesonicbreakdown.com. So please uh, go check out the reviews and articles that we have on the thesonicbreakdown.com. Today's topic or this episode is not black emoji. And in this particular episode, is going to be based off the specific footnotes of the story of OJ. And here's the conclusion for "I'm Not Black, I'm OJ." That is going into why do we think racism still exists? What is what is allowing it to continue? Um, because that, to me, points to one of the reasons is because we're not, like you said, mobilizing our capital to allow us to have the financial freedom to make our own decisions. When you're in a position of being financially free. You don't have to, as some might say, Calto or um, sacrifice your values to capitalize on your monetary um, acquisition. And so, I want to tie into back to the video of um, the what I also think is a, another explanation for it is what Michael Che brought up of that you know slavery wasn't didn't end that long ago. You know, it's not that far removed from from the just the human experience. It's not far removed since it happened. So, just think about it in the perspective of the people that were slave owners. Once slavery ended, how do you think they raised their kids the same way that they were raised, and so forth and so forth and so forth? You know, there is some dilution of that, but those ideas and mentality that those concepts are being passed down um, is one of the the things that he points to and. I also want to tie in just the idea. Just
2: one one idea at a time, brother. Well, this is
0: all tying into the idea of why racism is continuing. Okay, um, gotcha. The other aspect of of it is that that ties into that as well is uh, the point that Chris Rock brought up about that his mother, you know, she's not his grandmother, his great-great-grandmother. So, again, it's not that it's not that far removed, these ideas, is that she lived in South Carolina and black people could not go to the dentist. They had to go to the veterinarian. And not just that. They had to go through the back door of the veterinarian to to have their teeth pulled, dental work done. Right. So, again, it's it's touching on, like I said, about the Michael Che point of those ideas and those concepts are still there because if they weren't, she wouldn't have to go to the veterinarian. She'd just be literally going to the dentist.
3: And several aspects of that are kind of more um, expansive where I think about if you actually look at the history of it, we've been enslaved longer than we've been free. If we just go about our time, we had 300 years of slavery, but we haven't even hit 300 years of actually being free after slavery yet. So that means those concepts, those mindsets, though that power dynamic that originally existed through that is still there. When we look at it, yes, the current people our age did not own slaves, but they've had living relatives they know that did own slaves. And not only did they own slaves, they were still profiting off of the work, the contributions of these slaves. But... Part of that power dynamic never switched back to the people that were the workers. When the workers spent their whole entire lives working and making you money, but then the minute they get, got any freedom, you know, their grandkids or the kids' kids or whatever you want to say it, the power dynamic was never switched. where you were still scrounging. Just like he said, you're scrounging to get the bare minimum of what that person got. When it, when it came to jobs, you can get jobs paying $10 an hour for the same work I'm doing, but because I'm still black, even though I'm not a slave, I'm only getting 250 But that $250, has, with that, it was billing enough for me to typically survive. So when they say things about... You had opportunities to work and to increase your wealth. No, we haven't, because when that two fifty was only enough to provide enough food on your table with the bare minimum, where you were still eating crappier food, because that two fifty didn't buy the four dollar roast that you could afford making your ten dollars. Your power dynamic is still rising, while mine is either staying the same or decreasing, because now as I'm having more kids, and as you are making sure the neighborhoods that I live in, the neighborhoods that my kids live in, my grandkids live in can only still make that 250 but minimum wage has gone up and your minimum wage was instead of $10 now it's $12 you got that $12 but I'm still working on 250
2: right and, and when i that- i so appreciate that perspective you just gave cuz i think that lends a lot of information a lot of knowledge there um and i want to bring it back to you know not even bring it back but bring it forward to 2017 um and so you know when i look at these issues of race and and prejudice and 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 societal dysfunction, I, you know, I, I always try to play devil's advocate, and I always try to look at the perspective of the other, right? I'm obviously a black man, um, but I try to look at it from the perspective of a white man, right? Because I've I've had some white, and I will say brothers and sisters, right? Because I've had some white people that I was, I was close with, and I try to look at it from their perspective, right? Got a white dude right next to me, hypothetically speaking. Got a white dude right next to me, right? And he's like, hey, we went to the same school. You passed the same classes as me. We are equal. What is all this race shit you're talking about? We are equal. We go to the same restaurants. We're in the same classes. You're just as smart as me. What are you talking about with all this prejudice and all this racism shit, right? My response to him is, you don't see how officers interact with me when I get pulled over at one in the morning as opposed to when you get pulled over at 1 in the morning. You don't see the expectation our professor sets for me in terms of my ability and in terms of your ability. You don't see my interview process and how that interviewer interacts with me as opposed to how they interact with you. You don't see my access to healthcare. You don't see A. You don't see B. You don't see C, right? So when we talk about racism, it's much more institutionalized. It's most definitely overt, depending on what part of the country you're in. That's for sure, right? But you don't see those subtle, and you don't see that institutionalized racism that is there. And so, and I think, you know, for most Americans, right, whether you're white, Asian, Middle Eastern, Latino, whatever, you don't necessarily see the black experience. But just, man, there's a book called, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this book out there, right? It's called Courageous Conversations About Race. It's about Glenn Singleton. And, man, it's, it's an amazing book, right? And one of the things Glenn Singleton is, or one, one of the things he says is, when I tell you about my experiences, all I ask is that you believe me. When I tell you I have this racist experience, when I tell you I have this prejudice experience, when I tell you things are different for me than it is for you when I apply for this job, when I go through my educational experiences, when I interact with my doctor, believe me, because I'm not lying. I have no reason to lie, right? Millions of African Americans have no reason to lie about their experience. Just believe me when I tell you things are different for me than they are for you, And that is a major part of the reason African-Americans are in a different situation than other ethnicities as a whole than your ethnicity is.
1: I think part of the disconnect comes from, as Brother to the Left was saying, when you think of other perspectives, you have someone who is, you know, is white and is grown up. White people don't have to grow up worrying about race that's not something that initially comes up they don't have these conversations like hey don't keep your hands in your pockets because someone's going to think you're stealing uh and that ties in i think as brother to the left pointed in earlier uh there's the institutional portion for that and then in a larger context it's a mechanism of capitalism capitalism someone always has to be on the bottom so, if you have a society that's diverse, a way you can do that is through racism, saying, "Okay, hey, these people are different. You know, we can disenfranchise. We don't necessarily have to give them all the rights or um, the resources." Uh, if you're in a more homogenous society, say it's say it's like Ghana or say it's Russia, something like that, which it's a little, it's a lot more homogenous, more people look like each other, then you tend to see more classism. It's basically another vehicle or avenue to still dis- disenfranchise the same people because someone still has to be on top someone still has to be on bottom and as black people we've always struggled constantly struggled against a system that has always dealt us you know a raw hand so just coming coming from it as and i've seen this plenty of times uh they give the example of uh like you have three people running a race and you know the gun goes off and say it's you know it's a white guy a black guy um they're running And, like, I guess the gun goes off. My guy starts. It's clean. You know, he's going. Black guy starts running, but he has hurdles in front of him. So he has to jump a little bit more. So he's not necessarily – he's still running, but he can't necessarily keep up the same pace as white guy because there's not as many – or there's nothing that's blocking them towards that success to get to that finish line. So he's running. He's got these hurdles. And, okay, oh, now he has to go through a sand pit. Okay, now he has to go through a jungle gym. Oh, now he has to climb up these steps now. And, like, it's – it's more straight there. But when you try to explain that to someone who's white, in many cases, they won't necessarily see that privilege. They don't see that it's a disconnect there because from their perspective, hey, I've been working hard. I've been I've been putting in these hours. I've been doing all the things. So when you say, you know, racism exists and all these things, they don't see that. They literally cannot see that because that's never been their perspective. That's never been their world. That's never been their life. They haven't lived that. So there's, there, I see that constantly when any big protests or anything revolving race comes up. Why does it have to be about race? Why do you guys keep bringing this up? If you guys focused on X, Y, and Z, you could just go ahead. And to a degree, I understand that ignorance because it's literally something that you haven't, as a person, haven't had to confront. Where as black people, that is our constant reality. And constantly we have to deal with that. And I believe Mahershal Ali, he brought this up, is... Black men are constantly, or black people, let me not say black men, black people are constantly playing defense. We're trying to see, okay, when is someone going to come and say, hey, you can't do this, or this isn't the right lane for you. So we're, we're constantly trying to figure out another avenue around these things. So that what does that mean? Okay, if we're not able to get the job as a doctor or go into Wall Street, what's another way we can make money? We can hustle. We can find other avenues to get money that aren't necessarily the um, the lawful way to do it. But it's another way, how we see a way to gain success, because success can be uh, attained in many different ways, but we're not going to necessarily take the, the same avenue
4: as someone who's been afforded all these opportunities.: Yeah, I just in the last week actually listened to a podcast, not not this podcast, but um, another one. I came across the socio-temporal continuity principle. And what that speaks on is a Greek philosopher said, if you have a ship that leaves off from one shore and sails across the sea, and piece by piece they replace a board on that ship, say there's 2,000 boards on that ship, and piece by piece every day they replace a different board on that ship when it gets to the other shore, is it the same ship? And he takes it further and says, if you look at the Hudson River, for example, um, the Hudson River uh, will never be the same any second of the day because there's always different water, different stuff coming through that river. Um, and I think that plays perfectly into um, our society, and especially I always think about our government, which in theory isn't, isn't supposed to be an aristocracy. Um, but we all know in a lot of ways that's kind of what it ends up being. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially white people, don't realize that they're a part of that river. Um, are they're a part of that ship, and they think because you know my grandpa my great grandpa might have did this, but I didn't do anything, so so I'm not doing anything um to combat um progression of of minorities um, I don't think they're realizing that even though that ship has has changed boards over its journey, it's still the same ship that river is still called the Hudson River, even though it's never um been the same and I think that's that's a huge issue and and people that are that are part of a disenfranchisement, not not realizing they're a part of that disenfranchisement.
0: And I want to touch on a couple of things that uh, a couple of you guys have brought up. First, I want to touch on something that uh, Spencer brought up of the Marshall Ali quote, and that's going to go tie back into what uh, Brother to the Left was talking about earlier, where I said we would get back to it. And that's about that white privilege. Um, he talked about, like you said, as black people, we walk through the world on defense. And the way that he kind of broke that down is that when you are walking through that world in defense, similar to what you were saying is you don't have the opportunity to grow. similar to what um, Reddy was saying as well is the that idea of if you're always if you're always a step behind, you can't grow enough to create things because as we all know, just in business, it takes failures to get to the point of success. But if you don't have enough capital or you don't have enough uh, ability, resources, whatever it is to get through the first couple of failures, you're never going to reach that level of success. And you either got to be extremely lucky or extremely fortunate enough that you have the resources so that when you get those setbacks, you can move past them and get to your level of success. And so as a white person living in the world, you have that freedom and that opportunity. So you live live in the world on offense. You see things, you see opportunities and you say, oh, let me build here. Let me create here. Let me see what this is. And you know that nine times out of ten if it fails you will still be in a good position still be able to maintain your you might not be able to live the same lifestyle that you did but you'll still be able to maintain a modest or moderate lifestyle um so that kind of that 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 idea of that that's white privilege in itself of having that that freedom and that ability to do that
3: kind of with that there was a lot of points that i wanted to um kind of add i went to a conference um about two weeks ago in boston and the conference was all about race and mental health and um I went to this particular workshop that ended up being super insightful. Was a you know dope brother from Canada, and this uh, one young lady from Nigeria, and they were talking about um, race and general as well as mental health. And they did this um, icebreaker where they got this circle, and the circle had about eight points on it, right? And uh, the circle had about eight lines going from you know little to big, right? Big was you have absolute privilege. And on the outside was you have little, no privilege. And some of the points was one saying, are you sexuality? Are you straight? Are you gay? Gender. But it was also money. It was also talking about, you know, race. And one of the most impactful part was these two people. This one lady was talking about, you know, when she did it, that every one of her dots was on the outside. Because she was a black automatically on the outside because of that concept of race. She was a woman. She was uh, disenfranchised. She was from a ghetto neighborhood, which was your upbringing. Her financial stability, her parents didn't have money, and she doesn't have money. So in every way, she saw that she she was unprivileged. And you can see the heartbreak in her mind when she really realized that in no capacity was she ever get an easy life. And, you know, she explained her struggle. And, you know, you saw people's changing since the majority of them was white. But there was this one guy in the corner that I was peeping the whole time where he was just, he was really, you saw the head nods, but he was never saying nothing. And so we got close to the end and he was like, has anybody had an epiphany? The dope brother that went up there from Canada and this white dude gets up and he was like, I'm going to be real with you. I'm the saddest I've ever been in my life. And I was, and I remember saying there like, yo, why is this white guy that, you know, you can see he's wearing like a money. He's fresh to death. He got dope. was like, I just realized something that, you know, my privilege, you know, I've always said we had white privilege, but I've never seen it because you don't know what you don't know. And he said, every single one of my dots were on the inside. You know, my family was rich. So I had the upbringing of most positivity. I have more money in my bank account than more, probably most of the people in this room. I'm male. I'm straight. And I'm Caucasian. And he got to the point where he realized, like, all the friends he had, you know, his token black friends, token Mexican friends, what they've been telling him was always right, that he had an upbringing so blessed that he could never understand the blessing he was given. Where at this point, this older guy, he may be in his 50s or 60s, literally changed his mindset about what he needs to do. Because before he was saying he needs to deliver, basically, people of color from their own ignorance, their own upbringing. But then after he realized what he did, he said he ch- he said something that was super dope to me. He was like, I don't need to do nothing with people of color because the people of color already understand what they're going through. I need to change my family, my brothers and sisters. And he was like, I'm a realist. When I say my brothers and sisters, I'm talking about fellow white people, where if I didn't know that this is how much stuff that I was privileged by, and when I work with disenfranchised people, I know people that are more fr- uh, privileged than me would never know. That he need to not only change their heart, but change their viewpoint. Because you can change the heart, you get that bleeding white guy syndrome. I can save every person of color. But not he didn't want that. He wanted to, you realize, yo, my, my whole life, even though I didn't own slaves, my family didn't own slaves, but I was always giving something that a person of color can't hide. He said... I could hide if I wanted to be being a neo-Nazi by taking off clothes and changing the way I look. But a person of color can never hide this the skin of their color or the way they talk because that is who they are. And if I can help other people that look like me change the mindset and understand that it's not something that can be hidden or changed, but something that can be empowered, I can help change the world.
4: I think it's difficult um, helping millennials especially understand how that how that comes to fruition. And like Brother Celeste was saying in 2017, um, it's hard to explain to them how, you know, soldiers coming back from the war 70 years ago, how they got a free house and some land and how in 2017, what type of gap that has created between, you know, myself and them, for example. And I think that's that's the difficult part in helping other people come to that epiphany. One one thing I I want to ask you um just because um Spence was talking
3: about it earlier what I thought was dubbed is a dope YouTube video called Unequal Opportunity Race. If you haven't watched it, please check it in and it's exactly what Spence was talking about. It had a white guy, a white woman, a black chick and a black dude all lined up on a track. And the the you know the dude shoots the gun, the two white people take off, but the black people in the minute that it takes off, a big giant sign that says stop. And then it goes through what we've been going through for the last 300 years, racism, institutionalization, and it goes hits all those. And then when they go around the track about four times, they go about four times and they pass that wealth, their, their, their happiness to onto the next generation, then the black people start. And when the black people start, every inch they go, something hits them, a pitfall, a tiger, lions, whatever, anything to stop them from progressing. While the whole time the white people are not only moving faster, But they're they're making it easier. So it ends basically by having one black guy end up in, in prison, like a lot of us do, unfortunately, and another black guy trying to help the brother go into prison out, while both of the white people end up having escalators instead of running. They have escalators and they have straight belts where they can stand still, make that wealth, and easily pass it on. And to me, that was such a powerful statement because that's exactly what's happening where White people are having easier and having easier and easier where they can pass on that wealth and making sure that future generations are good while we are still trying to come out that pit.
0: I want to touch on before we move on to another another point is just that based on exactly what you just said, if you live through that every day is going to affect you, affect how you're thinking and affect how you perceive and, and, and move and navigate through the world. And that ties into the Michael B. Jordan um, statement that he said from the video of living as a black man and expanding it to black people or people of color or people that are oppressed. It's like living um, in in a tight box that's dropped into the bottom of the ocean with 10,000 pounds of pressure on you at all times. And so uh, this is something that I brought up on several other podcasts that I, I continue to say is a lot of the times is that for me that I experience is when white people that come to me or when they see me and i'm and it's not that i'm angry or they they see me as a that i'm angry and it's not that i'm angry it's shit i got a lot on my mind like if you're dealing with all the things we just mentioned and you know that's your daily struggle you don't have the freedom that some of the people that are asking these questions are saying to me is like Like Yeah, you can can walk through the world with a a a sense of freeness, a sense of no burden because you don't have those added pressures. You just have the regular pressures of life. And yeah, that sucks and sometimes and sometimes it's great. But when you have that daily, constant pressure on you at all times, it is going to affect your personality, it's going to affect your mood, it's going to affect, again, like I said, how you navigate through that world.
1: One thing that I used to also hear, and this is a It's becoming more of a common phrase uh, for black people. You have to work twice as hard to get the same results as uh, someone who looks different from you. And that's something that's always resonated with me. And one of the things that I was learning growing up and one of the things that were instilled in me from my parents um, that I, I still hold on to is some people call it respectability politics. But always be aware of your perception around other people. And that's something that I'm I am hyper aware of now. So, for example, when I go to work, I make sure that I dress—not even at the same level as my boss. Some, I dress better than my boss, because you're dressing for the job that you want, not necessarily the job that you currently have. And I also realize uh, the perception of how we dress as as Black men is always under constant scrutiny. So, when I go to work, I have a I have a button-down shirt, dress shirt, dress pants. Half the time on Fridays, I wear a bow tie. And I've realized even just from the small things, I've just done little tests on that versus when I'm in, if I'm comfortable, if I'm in my jeans or if I have a hoodie on or something, just how people will perceive you and that body language, whether it's the clutching of a purse or, you know, know, when deciding not to sit anywhere near you because there's a fear that, you know, you may be a criminal or, or up to no good or something like that. And even still going into stores, I'm still not putting my hands in my pockets just because like, it's just been ingrained in me and I've been conditioned not to have these these certain actions because I'm aware of, of what that can potentially lead to. Because again, that goes back to Mahershala Ali' point of just playing defense because I want everyone around me to be comfortable because if everyone around me comfortable, then that means that I can move a lot more freely. And creating an environment where I can be more free is one of the things that I constantly hold around myself, and I, I see that around other people, kind of, you know when, whether it's, it's um, when we're in traffic or I'm, I'm on BART or something like that where I'm taking the train, and I see how other people dress, I see how other people are perceived based on how they do and what their actions are, and I'm watching how other people judge them. And to see, okay, are they gonna are they gonna respond to me the same way? And sometimes I even do little tests to see, okay, if I show up to work this day, are they gonna let me in uh, based off of how I'm dressing now, or is it just because they already know what my face looks like and they're familiar with me, or would they treat me, you know, uh, otherwise very different? And I see that in many cases, even uh, Kendrick brought that up too, of, uh, when his uh, mother was was talking to a police officer and the way the police officer was treating her. I guarantee if she had been a lawyer, a politician, or someone that the police officer would have respected or saw the position that they weren't respected, she would have got a different treatment. But because the neighborhood she was in and the situation that was around it, it was a homicide that was in his neighborhood. He assumed that she was part of that same culture and essentially probably part of the same problem. So he treated her as a problem. And in many cases, as black men as black people, we are treated as a problem and not someone to be welcomed in.
0: And quickly, when you said that, that reminded me of I, I go to it often is the Chris Rock quote. I think it's from Bigger and Blacker, where he's like, "I'm rich," and there's a white man sitting in the top row that paid the cheap for the cheap seats that went change, change places with me right now, and I'm rich. And it also made me think of another um, joke that he said as well is he's like. I live in a rich neighborhood in I think it was New Jersey or Connecticut. I, I, New Jersey. I, New Jersey. And he's like, you know how hard I had to work to get here? He's like, you know, like I had a I had a, I have to be the best of the best. I'm I have to be one of the best comedians of all times. I had in order to host they, the Oscars. Yeah, I New had, New had New to host States. the Oscars to get here. And you wanna know who my neighbor is? A dentist. Not the best dentist in New Jersey, just a regular ass motherfucking dentist. <laughs> that that idea of like he said and in, in the joke is we got we have to fly to get where it takes you to walk that again again affects how you're going to navigate through the world how you how things are going to affect you where other people don't have that same those issues
2: but here's here's something i wanted to speak to and this is something that i have like because because here's the thing right when you're a black man and you're woke and you're conscious and you're intelligent and you're all these things all this discussion we're having weighs on you It weighs on you in a way that you don't experience if you're Asian, you don't experience if you're white, you don't experience if you're Middle Eastern, you don't experience if you're anything else. It weighs on you. It takes up your cognitive ability that you can be spending on other things. For me personally, I've gotten to a place where I'm like, fuck this. I'm not going to be in a situation where all this mental and cognitive weight weighs on me. Because... It's only hampering my ability to be productive. It's only hampering my ability to be successful. But, you know, when you talk about white privilege, that is damn near the definition of white privilege. If you're in a situation where you're not black, you don't have to have these discussions with yourself. You don't have to have, be in a situation where you are grappling with how much of, of race is, is impacting your cognitive abilities to be successful. So to bring it back to me, right, I've come to the place where I'm like, all right, race exists. All this shit is fucked up, but what am I going to do about it? And how am I going to move forward? Right. Practically speaking. And I've tried to move past it. I've tried to be in a situation where I don't give credence and credibility and validity to all this race shit. But I fell flat on my ass every time because it does matter. It matters to us. It matters to black men. It matters to Latino men, in in different ways, right? But same damn damn same damn near way. Even only to an even lesser expen- extent, there's a debate that can be had there. But it matters to Asian men. It matters to any man that is a minority, right? Any man that is not in the mainstream, gay, whatever, right? And here's the thing: if it matters to us, it matters to everyone. If you are actualizing as a human being if you're someone who truly understands what it is to be a man, if you're someone who truly understands what it's like to be a human, my struggle is your struggle. Your struggle is my struggle. And what I'm going through, what the Latino man is going through, what the Asian man is going through, what the Asian or what the gay man or woman is going through, what the mentally disabled man is going through, what all of us are going through needs to be what you're going through. And so if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, man, these brothers are going through it. Or if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, fuck what they're going through. If you are not in a situation where you're listening to what we're going through or you're listening to what any individual is going through and you're not feeling, if you're not empathizing, you are not actualizing as a human being. And where you need to be is in a place where what we're saying matters to you because if we're actualizing, what you're saying and the grievances you're having the grievances you're having matters to us
0: i want to just transition into something basically what you were getting into and that is solutions what is the way of making it out what is the way that black people can rise above racism or is there a way that's what i want to get into and some of the things that i want to uh just quickly bring up is um some of the ways that the footnotes kind of presented and then branch off that and tell me what you guys think about it. And um, one of the ways is what Will Smith brought up is basically just having the mindset, not allowing yourself to be similar to what you were saying that you tried of of not allowing yourself to be pigeonholed, to be blocked, to be stifled by the things that are put on us versus what we can do. One, as well as or is it just luck? You just have to be lucky enough to get out of the situation, be fortunate or um, gifted enough as an athlete, a, a musician, an artist in that regard. or And and how that or is it kind of what Vance Jones was talking about of what he experienced that he wished he had of when he was in college? You know, he found out later after he gra- left law school that his white counterparts, his white colleagues were getting mentored by professors outside of the classroom. So is that something that we need to do as black professionals, black doctors, black lawyers, whatever the creme de la creme, that top 10% or is it onus on them to give back the knowledge that will help the younger generation, the ones below them to succeed at a faster rate so that we can start to catch up in that race that we were talking about. So those are some of the ideas that I want you guys to think about in regard to this idea of can we make it out as well as how to do that?
4: Yeah, well, I wonder. So, I mean, to me, making it out, to me, means having our own on all on all fronts. Um, but then you wonder, how long would it take us to mobilize that, our $3 trillion of buying power, to combat the hundreds of trillions they have at their disposal? What would we be able to, say, we start our own basketball league, would we be able to get those athletes, uh, you know, without being able to pay them as much as soon? Because you know that's going to cause resentment, and you know there's going to be pushback, and you know they've got that power. So I I always wonder, is that feasible? Um, But in my mind, I don't think there's any doubt that that, that's the most ideal solution, is to have our own and be able to control our own and just be a more uh, robust front, if that makes sense.
3: And parts of it, I I definitely have to agree with Junior, because um, one of the things that I've always learned, and I've learned from my mom, I've learned from my family, and I've learned from my job, is this term called Sankofa. Sankofa is a Nairobi principle that Bay City talks about. If you ever see it, it's this bird that is its neck is backwards and it looked like it's feeding an egg. It looked like its mouth is on an egg, and it basically just means giving the knowledge of your seniors to the next generation. And to me, that is multiple levels of mentorship. We've seen that when somebody takes you underneath their wing to teach you what you want. So, like, for example, if if I'm a big science fan and Neil deGrasse Tyson is around and he has the ability to mentor me, I'm going to succeed at a way higher level than if I were just trying to do it on my own. Because it's not just about who, who knows you, but it's also what you can provide for them, and how they can help you. When you have somebody with a big circle, a big knowledge base, a big level of experience, connections that you may have never been able to get to, and they are able to teach you how to get those same levels of connections, as well as introduce you to those same levels of connections, and to teach you how to uh, capitalize on those. You have a higher ability of getting out of the hood. We've seen when someone goes to the hood and finds a little cuz, little bruh, little so-and-so, and mentors them, they skyrocket because you have the experience of your elders and you have the experience of who you are. So I believe that is one part, but then I also got to take what Jay-Z said. You have to always know that you are not less than, that no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, we are the same. The only difference that you have over me may be your level of political power, political correctness, or your money. But if we have people mentoring you to give you that same level, you can never be higher than me because we have the same.
2: And you know, I'm going to say this before you know before the last brother gets on. I mean, as we talk about solutions to piggyback on you know what has been said so far, in my opinion, the the best way to to truly affect change is through education and creating context where people are empathetic and understand that we are one. We're not different, and the, the you know the best medium to do that, in my opinion, is is through the schools. It's really difficult to impact parents and how they, you know, raise their kids. Um, but what we can do, you know, in the school system as teachers, as educators, um, is to teach our kids, whether you're in the Bay Area, of California, or the Bronx, New York, or the deep south in Alabama.
3: Mentorship. Because right. if your teachers mentor you, right. just like you said that you would find out some of the white counterparts were getting mentored by the seniors, if we get that same level, yeah. we can uh, rise above to the same level, if not more, and go back to what Junior said is having our own because we're creating our own with the youth and making them at the same level as the youth that white people have.
2: Agree. And, you know, that's why I started is by saying to piggyback on what has already been said, right? So I'm taking in what you're saying into consideration. But, my, you know, my thoughts are that if, if, if education is done correctly, we won't need to counteract anything. There will be nothing to counteract because we will all be on the same page. There won't be any prejudice. There won't be any racist over tens of however many years, because everyone would have been educated to understand the truth, which is that we're all the same. Um, however, there are conditions in place that keep that from happening. But if those conditions were not in place, we would be. we would all be much better off.
1: I think that's a great point that you brought up. And one thing I want to touch on in regards to education is we can just break that down. So that education comes to financial literacy. That comes to knowledge of self, understanding your environment and how you affect it and how the environment affects you. Understanding what you are in the larger context of living in a global society. And to go back to the larger question, I also want to uh, touch on Juniors Point point too. When we talk about solutions and things that happen, if we're in a capitalist society, then I believe what Junior's saying, ownership is really kind of at the top of everything. And ownership isn't just owning your own home or owning a piece of land, owning your own ideas, intellectual ideas and having the trademarks and you know capital around that so that you can go uh, further and progress. And everyone in this room um, has spoken about none. none of the people in here have a defeatist mentality. Despite all the things that have come up around us, we've spoken about the pitfalls, uh, we've spoken about all the kind of trials and tribulations, all the different things that get in the way, we're still here. Van Jones brought up a point about how he didn't necessarily have all the avenues and opportunities when he was in law school, but he's still Van Jones. He's still successful, despite not having all these opportunities, which may have put him into a different lane. He could have been you know, going towards the Supreme Court and other avenues. Um, but he's still here. We're still listening. And one thing I can say always about African Americans, we're probably the most resilient people in the world. You take anyone who's been through hundreds of years of slavery, put them into a different land, uh, and then after they get, quote unquote, out of slavery, still disenfranchise them, whether it's through redlining, whether it's through miseducation, all these, diff- all these different things
2: and factors, Jim Crow. however you want, you know. Literally,
1: things on the books that are uh, uh, preventing Africans from uh, attaining that same level of success um, in the capitalist society and and having wealth, not riches, but wealth being able to be passed down for generations and generations. That's always been a big factor. Um, And to go back to Junior's point, I I want to disarticulate, we've already seen these successes. There's been a black Wall Street. There's been plenty of avenues because we, as African-Americans grew uh, grew up in in a segregated society, we've then had our own doctors, lawyers and all these things and our own having the money uh, generate within the community. That's not a new concept. The problem with that is, or not a problem, it's been in many cases literally destroyed literally
2: destroyed when or stolen talking about black wall street burned down
1: literally destroyed we can talk right. about black wall street right. we can talk about philadelphia we can right. talk about other parts of, in the midwest we can talk about rosewood all these different places where we've seen these aspects of success and then they've literally been snatched away from other things so it's not that we can't attain that or it's a lofty idea it's happened already we have examples of that we've seen examples of that we have exceptions in this country and that's one of the reasons why in many cases I say there's great things about this country because despite all the things that are these pitfalls, we can still rise to levels of success and 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 fame and and have these avenues as a Jay Z, as like a as a Diddy, as as Barack Obama. All these different avenues they, they're still available. It's tougher to get to, but it's not unattainable. And when we want to talk about solutions, I want actually want to get that there. Uh, brother to the left and junior and ready all brought up all these, all these different things. I believe that the main answer for a lot of this uh, comes down to the education, just even knowing about some of the opportunities that are around and having that mentorship to give back to the generation successful people, giving back to other people, just give them the game, show them how to do these things. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, Despite all these things, there's always going to be pitfalls. If we accept already that the playing field is not level then we can start thinking and kind of moving around that already. So, okay, we know we're going to have to do twice as many steps. All right, well, what are the other avenues? Can we build our own escalator? Can Mm -hmm. we work together to do those type of things? So keeping that mentality going and keeping those ideas flowing around each other is what's really going to get us ahead.
0: To go off a little bit of what you're saying is, if you understand that you're playing a chess game and you're missing some of the pieces on the board, that doesn't mean the game's over. It, it means that you're at, yes, again, you're at a disadvantage, but it's still able to, you're still able to win it. You still if have you to know, play the game. And you still have to play the game. The, you. There is no choice. We'll wrap this up. And I want to say, first of all, I want to say thank you to all our guests. I, I definitely appreciate you all um, giving great insight, giving great perspectives. And this is going to be part of a series. And they're all going to be based off the... Footnotes from the Jay Z videos that are on title. I-, I suggest people to go watch them. They're very insightful. Um, they do stimulate thought and provoke um, feelings and emotions, and and again, thought to have deeper, more intellectual conversations. And hopefully, this will help continue and spark the drive. Uh, that that we need to get to these solutions and get to these points so that we are at the at the point that we're talking about where we have another black wall wall street where we are in a position of power where we don't have to so that maybe our kids' kids or our kids or our kids kids' kids can live in a world where they don't feel like they're walking around in a box with ten thousand pounds of pressure on them at all times that to me is the ultimate goal and I think we've touched on some of the things that can lead us there and we, this, we want this to be also a continued dialogue, so definitely leave us comments. Let us know what you think about it. Let us know what you your solutions. And again, follow us along with this on this journey. The next episode on for this series will be called Death of Ego, and that's going to be based off the footnote, Kill Jay-Z. So watch that, check it out, and then listen. We'll drop that and get your input on that. So again, I want to say thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, this is the Stay Wolf podcast presented by thesonicbreakdown.com. Again, thanks our guest, and you know our motto. Live, listen to some great music, and above all, love more. And we're out.